We'll be in the book of Luke chapter 19 tonight. If you want to turn your Bibles there, Luke 19. If you don't want to turn your Bibles there, then then uh, we've got another conversation to have. Uh, I realized, I, I, I said, if you want to turn your Bibles there, and I thought, well, you should want to. So, Luke 19. We've been making our way through Luke, and I, I broke up into a couple of different series, the various, uh, some various things. So we, we went through the, the miracles that Jesus performed uh, Wednesday nights back in the beginning of the year. I know a long time ago, seems like ages, um, we went through the, uh, the parables and um, those things that throughout all of the, the mess of, of COVID time of, of not meeting for a while and me only being here and, and doing Facebook and then, and then meeting outside for a while and then finally, finally where we could get all back and then having to not meet for two more weeks because of, of the danger. Uh, uh, but thankfully that was, that was not as bad as it could have been and um, we didn't lose anybody and uh, coming back and forth and all of that and going through parables. We've been uh, looking at on Sunday mornings, these questions that people ask Jesus, or in this case, a, a statement, an entreaty that the apostles give to Christ. Um, really, Jesus answering some of our biggest questions. And now we are approaching, uh, at least on Sunday nights, this final week of Christ. Now, if, you're, if you have good memory, you may remember a couple years ago, uh, I, I believe it was a couple years ago, I did a series through Mark that I called one more week and it was the last week of Jesus. And we just, and it, of course, because I'm a preacher, I'm long winded. It took me three months to go through one week. Uh, but we went through the last week of Jesus and took it, you know, section by section all the way through to, to see what he's doing. A lot of these stories that we're going to read through in Luke are the same stories. Um, I promise I will not just preach those sermons verbatim. I'll, I'll you know, there'll be some new stuff in here and some old stuff and some, because some things are just so good, you got to say them twice. And and then if you're like me, you need to hear them twice or or three times or <laughs> more than that. So some of that will be recurring, but some of that will also be new insights, some things that Luke tells us that some of the other gospels don't. Um, so as we approach this final week on Sunday nights, um, a lot of information that's all condensed in a very short amount of time. Luke 19 is where we begin. Verse 28. We're going to read tonight of, some people call it Palm Sunday, some people call it the triumphal entry, uh, call it what you will. This is, for me, um, one of those times where you see a lot of the scripture coming to its apex. He's, if you will, if you're climbing a mountain, there's a period of time um, when you're climbing a trail that you get to a certain part of the trail and you know that you're not terribly far off the end. Now there's part of it where you're where where you've still got some energy and you're going along and all right, this is pretty good, or you're starting to hit a hard stretch, and then you think, How much longer? Surely I can't be much longer. But then there's a point in that trail where you start to realize this is getting pretty close. And this is that time for Jesus. This is getting crunch time, if you will. Luke 19, let's go ahead and read the entire section, starting in verse 28. So stand with me as we read from God's word, Luke 19, 28 through 40. 
And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet. He sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, those were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the mountain of olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Pray with me. Father, as we come to this, your triumphal entry, make your triumphal entry in our hearts and in our minds. Through the words of your scripture, take control of us that we may bring you honor and praise. Bless the reading and preaching of your word in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that you should look for in Bible passages is what does this tell us about Jesus? Not just what does it tell us about ourselves, though sometimes it it smacks you between the eyes and you need to notice what it says about us. But what does it say about Christ? If if the all of Scripture, well, I think uh, one one said it yet uh, uh, this way, if if you look in any portion of Scripture, every book points in the same direction. It all points to Christ. Every book Every story, in some way or another, points us toward Jesus Christ. So the question we might ask is, what does this teach us about Christ? What does this entry show us about our Lord? There's a couple things I notice uh, uh, that I think have particular application, things that not only show us about Christ, but also bring us to question ourselves on some important matters. The first thing I notice is in verse 28 that Jesus was focused. And when he had said these things, he had been teaching. Uh, remember, he had just given the parable of the ten minas, um, that, that um, the sir, this uh, master is going away, so he gives his servants some money and puts them in charge. And uh, some of them do really well, and they grow. Some of them don't do as well. And they don't grow quite as much, but they still grow. And then one of them doesn't do anything with it, and he is condemned. Um, he has been teaching them. teaching. The, uh, he had just healed Zacharias. or Yeah, healed, spiritually speaking, Zacharias. Zacharias, the wee little man, goes up in the tree, sees Jesus... Jesus says, come down, I'm coming to your house. And, and he experiences a reconciliation that really brings healing on him. Because up until that time, he is only worried about himself. But now, now we see him offering to give to the poor and to right the wrongs that he's done, showing repentance for his sins. He has been healing and teaching and talking about, well, the fact that he was going to Jerusalem to die. And he's actually on that road to Jerusalem Right in this passage, 
when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Now, you don't go down to Jerusalem. You go up to Jerusalem. And it doesn't matter what direction you're coming from. Jerusalem is in the mountains. So if you want to get to Jerusalem, you got to go up. In fact, from the Dead Sea to Jerusalem, I think is only about 10 miles on a map. It looks really close. But then you look at it from the side and you go from uh, several hundred thousand or several hundred uh, feet below sea level to 2,500-ish feet above sea level in Jerusalem. It's more than 3,000 feet climbing elevation in that, what, 10 or 12 miles between the Dead Sea, the lowest point on earth that's not in the middle of the ocean, and Jerusalem. So you don't go down to Jerusalem. You go up to Jerusalem wherever you go. And so you can see Jerusalem from miles away, right? Because, well, you know, they don't usually have a problem with bad weather. (laughs) Not in Jerusalem. It's kind of arid, kind of dry. It's up in the mountains, but it's still kind of dry. And so Jerusalem, well, you can see it from miles away. And Jesus is on his way there. It shows me, the reason I say Jesus was focused is because he knew what his purpose was. Back in Luke chapter 9, go back in Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, we're going to turn our Bibles tonight. So uh, get get ready to turn. Luke chapter 9, he knows it's coming. And he's focused on the task at hand. 9.51, notice this. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now that's back in chapter 9. We're in chapter 19 and he's almost there. This is a journey that has taken over a third of Luke's gospel. I think there's 24 chapters in in this gospel. Let me check that real quick. 23, 24, 24. 24 chapters, 10 of them. Jesus is going toward Jerusalem. This is not something that Jesus suddenly figured out, oh, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be going to Jerusalem. No, 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 no. This was part of the plan. And now Jesus, you can see the focus tightening in more because he knows the days are close at hand. That, that, that trip up that mountain road is almost coming to its end. He's almost finished the hike and he can feel it. He can sense that just around the corner, just up ahead is the end of the trail where I get that beautiful vista, right? Well, for him, it's quite a bloody vista. Not so beautiful for him, but oh, the beauty of the cross for us. Jesus sees his purpose. In Luke 9, uh, look in verse 21. He knows his purpose. He knows why he's going to Jerusalem. In fact, he knows it so well that he tells the disciples on three separate occasions what's about to happen. Luke 9, 21, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Peter has just confessed he's the Christ. Saying, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's not the only time he says it. To flip the page or two, Luke 9, verse 43. But while they were still all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. He's telling them, but it's hidden. He's not trying to hide the ball here in in the sense that he's not 
he's not forthright about it. They just don't quite see it because maybe this is another parable. Maybe this is something that Jesus is saying that doesn't mean what it sounds like. And they're not quite sure how to take it. They don't quite understand what's going on, but Jesus knows what's going on. Flip ahead to to Luke chapter 18, Luke 18, verse 31. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. He tells them, look, we're going to Jerusalem. Why? And everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now, again, they don't understand. They don't quite see what what do you mean all this? I don't remember reading that in the prophets. I don't remember anybody flogging the Messiah. I remember the Messiah taking his kingdom. I remember the Messiah establishing God's rule over the earth. I remember the Messiah rescuing Israel from its bonds of, uh, of, of slavery in this world. I remember the Messiah doing great things for God. I remember him establishing the house of God so that all the nations would flock in and serve the Lord. But I don't remember a Messiah getting beaten, being rejected, being killed. They didn't understand, but he did. And yet, he went on ahead, going to Jerusalem. When a man or a woman of God hears God's command, senses God's calling, comes to recognize God's will, obedience is the response of faith and focus. Christ was focused. Are you focused on accomplishing God's will? I don't mean, do you want to do it? I mean, are you focused on it? Are you intently focused on doing what God has called you to do or are you just simply hoping it happens along the way? Jesus didn't wander to Jerusalem and we shouldn't wander into doing God's will because let's all face it, you don't wander into obedience. Our wandering's always away from God, isn't it? Jesus was focused. Not only was he focused, he was prepared. It's interesting I told you back in chapter 9, he said, Luke tells us that he set his face toward Jerusalem. And that was 10 chapters ago. Who knows how many months or years left in his ministry before this time would come. But it had to be a good long while. Yet already he was preparing for what was to come. Not only that, though, there's also an interesting sort of preparation that goes on. Look in verse 29. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, These are the suburbs of Jerusalem, okay? When he drew near to them at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Now, some people look at this as providence. Some people just look at it as Jesus realizing just how, you know, God's going to do this. God's shown me there's going to be this cult here. And so he tells his disciples, they go, and sure enough, they find it that way, right? That's what it looks like. That's not what's happening at all. This is preparation. You know, it's Confucius says, all success requires previous preparation. And we find nothing less with our Lord. He is prepared for this moment that is to come. Now, it would be one thing if if Jesus just said, go find a horse, 
find a donkey, find something for me to ride. But no, he tells them specifically, you're going to go in, when you enter the town, you're going to see a colt tied up, no one's ever sat on it. Get that colt, bring it to me. If anyone asks you, why are you untying the colt? Tell them I need it. Now, you may not have noticed this, but um, the, the, the two villages here, Bethphage and Bethany. Bethany, that's familiar. Where have I heard that before? Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Jesus spent a lot of time in Bethany on several occasions. Don't you think one time Jesus is walking by and he say, sees this newborn colt? few months from now, he knows it's going to be just the perfect age. In a little while, he knows it's going to be just right for what he needs. And so he goes up to this guy that he probably has met and probably has known, maybe even someone who likes Jesus and who's following Jesus, even though he can't follow him everywhere he goes. Someone who is sympathetic to his cause and willing to help him. Don't you know Jesus walks up to him one day and says, hey, that's a nice cult you got. Mind if I borrow that in a few months? Maybe maybe Jesus had seen that same person tying the cult to the same place every time he went, watching that cult grow up. Maybe he goes to the owner and he says, hey, don't let anybody ride this one. This one's special. I think Jesus is prepared. I think he has not just the providence of God working in his favor, though he has that. I think he also has the plan in place to do what God's called him to do. And don't you know this was planned long before Jesus' birth? Flip with me back to the next to last book in the Old Testament. It's the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is just before Malachi, just before the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah. I could tell you the page number in my Bible, but that wouldn't help you at all. I wish they would standardize that. You know. Anyway, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt. On a fowl of a donkey. Zechariah. Zechariah. This is about 500 to 550 years before Christ finds this, or Christ's disciples find this cult. A little over 500 years before Christ was born, Zechariah writes this prophecy. God had been planning this for quite a long time. And since Christ is God, well, we can give Jesus the credit too, can't we? He was prepared. Do you intentionally prepare yourself to do what God has called you to do? Not just are you focused on it, but are you intentionally laying the plans and the preparation that you need in order to accomplish the will of God? Or are you just hoping you happen to get lucky? Accomplishing God's will requires that the follower of Christ prepare, just as he did. So he was focused, he was prepared. Something that we can't quite copy him on. He was worthy. Look in, look in verse 35. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, Jesus, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. Matthew also tells us that they cut down palm branches and laid them too. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, 
the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Where have I heard those things before? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know where I've heard it before because I'm turning there, right? Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. No, that couldn't be coincidence. I mean, that was... Let's see. Who wrote Psalm 118? We don't know who wrote Psalm 118, but we know these psalms were compiled long before Jesus was born. In fact, they were sung every Sabbath. You go into Jewish synagogues today, you could hear every Sabbath they'd sing through psalms. And so every now and then it would be the 118th psalm and they would recant this line. They would... They would Repeat this line again. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, singing about their Messiah. And here, they're actually smart enough to realize they're not just singing about it in church. They're seeing it happen in front of their face. But what about this peace in heaven and glory in the highest? Where have I heard that from? Do what? The birth of Christ. They got an angelic refrain going on. I wonder if Luke did that on purpose. I wonder if Luke heard those words and said, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, I recognize that. This is how you hyperlink in that day. You use some of the same words and some of the same combinations so that people, when they hear one, think of the other. He's connecting these two events. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. Here he is now seated on a donkey with the clothes instead of covering him, covering his way, like a red carpet spread out for him. This is the way you welcome a king. Those of you who are old enough to remember World War II, when the soldiers came back. Anybody remember that? Anybody old enough to remember that? Okay, all right. Anybody going to admit anybody lying and and really are old enough to remember but don't want to? Okay, just making sure. So when they came back, there were these parades, fantastic parade. Donald Trump wouldn't think they're all that great because his, par- his parades are the best parades. But, you know, they were, they were pretty close, right? They were great parades. People, people lining the streets to see the soldiers come home victorious from battle. You can imagine Alexander walking into Jerusalem with his mighty army as the Greeks had overrun the area. You can picture, uh, um, a little bit darker picture, but I do remember seeing film of this, of the Nazis walking through Paris. And it's that same sort of, of victorious march through. And there were people that were showing, showering them with gifts. And, and I realized that's, you know, that's not the greatest picture of it, but it's the same sort of thing. It's this victorious return of a king who in battle has won and has captured his enemy and the, the defeated king is brought in chains and, and humiliated, humbled in front of these people. You can picture the scene going on. Here is the Lord of heaven 
on a donkey that no one has ever ridden before, and the donkey's okay with it. That in and of itself is pretty amazing. And there's people shouting songs, messianic songs at his entrance. He hasn't even gotten into Jerusalem yet, and it's already great fanfare. Two questions for you here. First, is Christ worthy to you? Are you one of the ones willing to spread your coat on the way so that the master's donkey doesn't even have to step in mud on his travel? Are you one of the ones that's willing to cover the donkey with your cloak that the master may not get colt hair on his pants? Is he worthy to you? Worthy of your praise? Worthy of your unbridled proclamation of his glory? And then number two, are you willing to not be the one on the colt? Are you willing to let the Lord be the Lord? To let him have the place of honor? And for you to just simply be one of the ones shouting his praise. Verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, there's always Pharisees in the crowd, aren't there? Said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. This doesn't happen in any of the other ones. Uh, In Matthew, once he gets into the temple and drives out the temple, they start getting mad. Mark doesn't have this at all, this, this section of this at all. Neither does John. But Luke tells us, There's some Pharisees. They haven't even gotten in Jerusalem yet. And the Pharisees are already teach or rebuke your disciples. This is ridiculous. Why are you letting them say such things? They knew the implications. They knew the reference to the psalm. They knew the story from Zechariah. They knew the prophecy and what he was doing. They knew it. One commentator wrote, Love's extravagance and self-giving always goes unrebuked by Jesus, though not always by others. There are men, just about always, that are willing to rebuke you for giving this kind of love to Christ. But Jesus never rebukes love in its extravagance, especially, especially in its extravagance. And so he tells them how worthy he is. He's so worthy that even if you shut up all these people, the very rocks will cry out. That's how worthy he is. Father, may we not be replaced by rocks, who are better at praising you than we are. May our praise demonstrate your worthiness to be praised. May our preparation, though limited we may be, and our ability to know the future, may it emulate yours in doing your will. May our focus, though we are so prone to wander and be distracted, may our focus become much more intent on accomplishing your purpose, on achieving your glory. Father, help us follow your son, even though he's on the colt and we're the ones walking. Father, help us follow him as he leads us in your will. Thank you for everything you do for us. Thank you for being that mighty king seated on a colt, coming in the name of the Lord, coming with the name of the Lord, coming to impart the name of God upon our hearts. Help us honor you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.